0: I have to say, sometimes when you stand up here and look out, it can be a frightening thing. Uh, it's not you, it's, it's, up, it's us up here, but we're, uh, it's, uh, we love our kids. We do want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. I believe God wants to bring joy, He wants to bring peace into our lives. And uh, I believe that even this year, God is doing an amazing thing in our life as we open our hearts. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles for a few minutes. Jump with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, I want to read a text. This is not a Christmas message this morning necessarily, uh, but I felt the Holy Spirit this earlier this week give me a word for our church. We're coming up into a season of fasting and prayer on January for 21 days. And I know that many of us do not understand Uh, what that all involves, but I believe that as we look at this subject uh, on some things, because this morning I want to talk to you about transforming your reality, transforming realities. How many of you believe that Jesus' prayer is being fulfilled when he prayed that heaven would come to earth? And God's, Jesus' prayer, and he taught his disciples to pray as thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And Jesus, and the instrument of God's plan is His people. It's you. God wants to use you. And uh, in fact, you are all He has. You are all He has. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's you. Amen. It's you. It's you that is all He has. and uh, But He takes... He takes us from where we're at. You know, the, the beautiful thing here about the Christmas story, when we look at it, is that when we have five angelic encounters in four chapters of the Gospel that deal with angels confronting people who did not understand what was going on. Uh, it was a rude awakening for many of them. They were not expecting uh, God to come with such a message. For instance, Zachariah, who was an old man, and his wife, uh, his wife uh, Elizabeth, was an, in their older years, and they were not expecting a child. They were barren all of their life. And an angel comes as he's ministering in the temple. He's a, he's a religious leader, a priest. And an angel says, you're going to have a son. The Bible says that when the angel appeared, it says, he... Was troubled. It troubled him. When Mary encountered the angel, and the angel, of course, said, uh, highly favored, you're blessed, Mary, highly favored of the Lord, the Lord began to unfold his plan towards her concerning the birth of baby Jesus. The Bible says she also was troubled by the encounter. She was troubled by this encounter. It was something supernatural, it was not something they were expecting. But I believe in the Christmas story, God was coming to a religious uh, culture in that time that was religiously oppressed. No time before the time of the, these angelic encounters had people ever experienced what was going to take place. But it was going to bring a serious paradigm shift in the way people think, and the way they see things. And... Uh, what it was going to do was going to usher in a new way of living and thinking. How many of you, since you've received Christ, experienced that new life? Amen. God intended for there to be some changes in our life. God intended for your marriage, your family, your home, uh, your influence to change because uh, as the result of this encounter. Let me, let me just say this. If, if you have not experienced an encounter that brings about the lifting of your vision. Because that's what salvation does. It changes the way I think. It, it changes the lens on how I see things. It, it transforms you out of darkness. Brings you into the kingdom of light. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to be rosy for you. Actually, when you get saved, your life will stand out. Everyone say stand out. Jesus said, you are light. You are the light of the world. I love what Pastor Ted, or Todd, Todd White says. He says, today in our churches we have a lot of basket-headed Christians. We've got baskets over our head. We're not letting our lights shine. (laughs) He calls them basket heads. How many of you know we need to lift a basket off our head and let our light shine? And that's, of course, the life of God. And God never intended for our lights to be hid. And our lights are to shine. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going around just spouting off the gospel on everybody, but but the light is reflecting in our faith, our sense of vision, our sense of hope. There's hope. Uh, and uh, my wife was telling me uh, this week that on the news she was hearing a particular political leader uh, just because of the recent elections that takes place. And this highly high-placed, Political leaders said this, we heard it, we couldn't believe it came out of their mouth, but they said, we're now entering into a season of hopelessness. And we're thinking, what a, what a horrible testimony from a leader to say that about America. Now, I, don't, I really don't care what candidate uh, you're voting for, or voted for, but I want to tell you, it doesn't matter who's in office, The political leader does not determine the light and the hope and the future that you have as long as your hope is in Jesus. There is no political leader, by the way, that will ever bring the kind of change and healing and hope that only the kingdom of God can bring. Proverbs makes it very clear that righteousness exalts the nation. But when the wicked bear rule, poverty and and evil begins to uh, take place in the nation, but righteousness exhausts, and so it's it's sad when our leaders, that are a voice in our nation, begins to say, "Well, we're coming into a season of hopelessness." How sad! That that's not what our nation needs. Our nation, we right now, we are living in a nation that is burned out. There are people that are more restless and burned out than they're religiously burned out. They're politically burned out. Uh, it's amazing in our nation we have so many assets and so many things available, but yet we tend to be based on a lot of psychologists that have said this: we are a very unsatisfied, restless, and broken as a nation. Yet we're the richest nation on the planet. And yet, there are so many people today discouraged. But I believe God is taking the church, He's unfolding truth, to bring a revelation of Jesus in our life, so that your life can truly shine. Amen? And that's what Christmas is all about. When Jesus was born, I love the the beautiful story in Luke 2, where the angels came to to the, uh, the shepherds by night, and said that this shall be a sign to you. Now this is important. Because I believe that Jesus' birth was not just a sign, but he was the beginning of many signs that were to come. As believers, you are to present a sign. God wants your life to bring a sign. It's interesting. Jesus was born, swaddled in cloth, and put in a manger. Think about it. He was put in a manger where there was maggots and uh, insects and just the fumes of, of a barnyard. I, I was raised, by the way, on a farm. And I know what a barn and a, and a stable is like. It's full of infection and disease and maggots and feces and all that other stuff. Yet Jesus was born and placed in a manger. And I believe prophetically there's a reason. Because it tells us how far God's love is willing to reach and how miraculous God's power is, even in the most despicable, most un- uh, 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 unbelievable places. No, it doesn't matter how far dark, or how, how, how dark you are, or how deep you are in sin, His love and His power can transform your life. And that's the Christmas story, is that it's far-reaching. There is no person, there is no place that you are, or have been, That is so dark that His grace cannot reach touch. Transform your light. And not only raise you from the dead. But raise you up. And use your life as a testimony. To His loving and saving grace. To be a testimony of others. To others. Of what His hope and His love can do. And it says you begin to embrace that truth. I want everybody to say three phrases for me this morning because we're going to do something this morning. First of all, it's by the Holy Spirit. I want, I want you to say this with me, would you? I want you to say, unlock it. Unlock it. Then say, receive it. receive it. Then say, expect it. God's going to unlock some promises. Unlock some strongholds in your mind. God wants to unlock you from a way of thinking, a shallow-minded, limited kind of thinking. And He wants to unlock your faith. Then He wants to you to receive His promises and His plan for your life. Then He wants you to begin to expect some powerful things to happen in your life. God does not want your life to be the same week in and week out, year in and year out. If you have not grown and seen miracles and power in your life, then you are living below what God expects you to live. You know, just this past week, my wife and I, we were uh, out and about, and we got a phone call. And I want to just say this, uh, just to let you know something that's been happening in our life. We have seen an amazing uh, series of answered prayer between Carol and I. Just amazing miracles that have been taking place. And it, it, it's no secret, but we have seen God answer some amazing prayers. Just a month ago, a man that we know up in uh, Sulphur Spring, he, Paul Mooningham, uh, in fact, I just got a call from Paul again this week. We, The the doctor said his eyes are going blind. Within a matter of a few weeks, he has a bacteria in his eye, uh, the tearing of the retina behind his eye. I prayed with him for 40 minutes. Nothing happened. But two days later, I'm out with Tony Laville. We're going to a, a Stars game. Remember that, Tony? We're, I was in the car. I get a call from Paul. He says, Pastor Ray, you will not believe it. The uh, My eyesight is coming back and he hadn't even gone to the doctor yet just this week the doctors looked into his eyes and they said we do not understand but your retina is not torn wow. right. and it was uh, and Paul just just told me that yeah. yesterday we got a call from uh, Be- Beverly Sheffield a woman who who's had a Shrogan's a Shro- disease in the lungs and we've been praying for her but, but she asked for prayer for, I believe, a sister uh, who, who had some form of blood cancer. Well, Beverly just called me and she said, Pastor Ray, my sister just called me and said they can't find the cancer in her blood. The doctors are so concerned about it that they think something got mixed up in the lab because the blood is too clean. They, didn't, they did other blood work and found out They didn't make a mistake, and Beverly Sheffield, she just called me yesterday and was just ecstatic about this miracle. Now now here's the thing that is so important. We've got to learn to unlock it, receive it, then expect it. We've got to come... I, I believe that Christmas is more than just a message that took place. Jesus is alive, and His power is evident today. And He's looking for people... Who are willing to receive his word. And I want to just take you into one text this morning that demonstrates the power of the coming of Jesus' coming kingdom that's very alive, very present, and very real even right now in your life. And he wants you to understand that you, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, have the keys of the kingdom and you have the power and you have spiritual authority. To pull down strongholds and to root out the powers of darkness in any given situation. And through the power of the name of Jesus, as you in faith with boldness declare it, you are going to see breakthrough. I believe it's time for the church to rise up and become what she was created for. You were not created just to come and sing a bunch of songs, go home, hear your three points on a poem. No, God's going to use us to transform our nation that has gone through so much. Even this past year, our nation is more divided. There's more, there's more pessimism. And I believe the optimism, the joy, the hope is going to come when the church comes alive. It's not just a church, but it's when all of us as churches begin to come together in a spirit of unity. We begin to embrace God's mandate the mandate he's placed on the church and by the way his yoke is easy everyone say easy his yoke is easy his burden is light this is not something beyond your reach God doesn't give you something he doesn't give you a plan that he doesn't give you the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish his purpose now in and of ourselves in our own strength we can't do anything the Bible says Christ in you is the hope of glory It's Christ in you. And you, all of you, God's called all of you to be the extension of the Father, to to, to bring the release of captives, to bring the message of freedom and liberty. It's through your witness, and not just the message, but it's the lifestyle you're living. People are going to be attracted to your lifestyle, even to your shadow. Even like Peter who, who walked and people were healed. There, there, there's a testimony. I want you to see something. Because I believe God is delivering us from powerless, oppressive, religious Christianity. I believe that God wants to bring Christianity back to Christians. I believe some Christians need to get saved. Uh, Pastor, well, that doesn't make sense. Christians, yeah, some people who profess to be Christians are really not saved. Because let me tell you, if you're truly born again, there's a light. There's life. You know, well, Pastor, I, I'm offended by that. I'm not trying to offend anybody. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus said that there is going to be power. There's going to be love. There's going to be life. You. Have an effect on people when the Holy Spirit is in your life. You will have an effect on people. Amen? I mean, people should be affected by you. Now, sometimes that effect may not necessarily always be positive. Sometimes people may come under conviction just because you come in the room. That actually happened. I, 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 I'm a big fan of, uh, I read a lot of historical revival and, and Smith Wigglesworth, I've read about 20 of his books, John G. Lake and other revival uh, uh, leaders in the past. And uh, Smith Wigglesworth in his day, he would get in these trolley cars and they were uh, long, uh, basically uh, kind of a bus-like situation. And he'd, be, he'd been spending time in prayer and he would get, in the bus, with total strangers. And all of a sudden, people in the bus, or in this trolley car, would start crying. They'd start weeping. And, and people start turning to Smith, and they would begin to ask, what is it about you that brings conviction of sin in my life? And he would literally lead the entire bus to the Lord, and yet there was no message preached. But yet, just because of the spirit that he carried... There was a conviction, and it wasn't condemnation. There's a difference. He brought, a, he brought people just by His Spirit. There was a drawing, and there was an anointing that began to touch the hearts of people where they begin to become aware of something far greater than just their own normal life. You see, God wants to transform our reality. He wants to transform our expectay, expectation. Wants to transform. Some of us have been maybe just locked into a career and you're a good businessman. or Maybe you're a housewife. Maybe uh, there's different areas of occupation or involvement you're in. I'm not suggesting that God wants to pull you out of those things. But I believe He wants you to recognize the divine God-given opportunities that are around you to change your world. He wants to bring an awareness that you are mighty through God. There's an anointing on you. Turn to your neighbor right now, say, "There's an anointing on you. You are anointed. You, and, and some of us this morning have, have allowed just life. You know, life, life can wear you out. Life can just make you tired. Life can just get you so weary and you're so exhausted. Today we've got so many people involved in so many things. Distracted, television, uh, just school and work and we're busy, busy, busy. Cell phones, my God, cell phones. We're on chat rooms, we're on Facebook. Get off of that for a time. Spend your time in the presence of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to put some power and fire and life in you. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Amen. I've got to encourage myself up here. But here, I want you to see something here in Matthew chapter 17. And when, verse 14, Matthew 17, verse 14. When they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely. For often he falls. Often he falls. He's always falling. Notice the powers of darkness. Always taking you down. Always destroying. Always seeking to take you down. He falls. My my son falls into the fire. And often in the water. We're talking about a guy who has a cycle of destruction and defeat in his life. Often. Often. How many of you believe God wants to break that spirit of often off their life? Often He falls. There's people right now, you've been falling. You've been feeling that sense of failure in your life. But I want to tell you right now, you're going to leave here free. You're going to, did you hear me? You're going to leave here free today. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You are not going to be the same the way you came in. And it's because we're going to, Unlock some things. We're going to receive some things and then we're going to walk in that spirit of expectation. But notice what happens. Often He was in the fire. Often in the water. You have a Father who is hopeless. Helpless. Weak. And notice what verse 16. So I brought Him to your disciples, but they could not cure Him. You know it's sad that when the church that represents the Lord Jesus Christ, represents a kingdom that is so amazing, so powerful, so full of hope, faith, love, grace. And yet that religious institution is powerless to bring the kind of freedom and liberty that it was expected to do. When we cannot bring life and hope and change, then all we are is just another religious institution. We're just singing songs, going through the motions, and that's how churches die. That's why people wander. That's why they never see victory. The Bible says here, then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. By the way, he wasn't calling that man that. He was looking at his own disciples. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Bring him to me. Amen. And Jesus rebuked the devil. Notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't say, let's sing another song. Jesus didn't say, let's take an offering. Jesus rebuked the devil. How many of you know that if you're going to ever deal with the fruit, you've got to go to the root? Jesus dealt with the root of the problem. Jesus had a way of understanding and discerning the going beyond the surface, and he dealt with the root of the issue. He begins to rebuke this demonic thing, and it says, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said, because of your unbelief, everyone say unbelief, For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move. Everyone say move. That should become a very popular word with you. Move. The next time you have a fight with your wife in the home, say move. I'm not talking about talking, telling her to move or him to move. But you need to start speaking to the powers, the principalities and powers and strongholds and rulers of darkness. In the home. You need to start saying, move, you demonic thing, you lying spirit. I speak to the lying spirit in this divisive house. Move in Jesus' name. Well, Pastor Ray, my husband might think I'm a weirdo. Let him think it you start speaking to the spirit that's trying to bring agitation in the house. Sometimes we have to speak to the spirit of affliction. Well, Pastor, are you saying there's a devil behind every door? No, I'm not saying there's a devil behind every door. I understand there's times that... that just in our own flesh and in our, in our own carnality, we've, we've made foolish decisions. But when it comes to spiritual battles, when it comes to confronting situations or problems or physical infirmities or afflictions, we need to speak and we need to get in touch with the Holy Spirit who lives and abides in us, and we need to ask God for discernment. Then we need to use the keys of the kingdom, and we need to unlock The truth. I need to take the truth of what God's Word says and I need to utilize it. Notice what Jesus says. But it was because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say unto you that if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move and it shall move here and it will move and nothing, everyone say nothing. Nothing will be impossible for you. Howbeit, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, Jesus, living on earth, dealing with issues, problems, afflictions, diseases, death, oppression, religious oppression all around him. And Jesus comes and he becomes the extension of the Father. Jesus knew that his mess, his mission was more than a message. His mission was a way of life that he wanted to convey to his people. But he said, your biggest problem is unbelief. Now, one of the biggest problems, I want everybody to see this, because remember Jesus said that you will speak to this mountain. Everyone say mountain. Guess what he was referring to by the mountain. It's up here. It's in your head. The biggest mountain that we have to deal with is this mountain of reason and logic that's up here. How many of you know that God has to get beyond here to begin to move mountains and begin to move supernaturally? But see, we have mountains and these mountains are walls. These are walls. There's logic. There's reasoning. There's things up here that actually bind and limit God. God can't move when there's a mountain in the way. So what he says here, he says, you need to have the first thing Jesus deals with is how they see. So he uses the analogy of a mustard seed. Anybody in agriculture, anybody in farming understands what a mustard seed. A mustard seed is a very tiny. It's almost so small that you cannot see it with the human eye. It's that small. Jesus uses the mustard seed to describe a spiritual truth, because the mustard seed is yet so small and so tiny and yet so in, so insignificant, yet it produces one of the greatest herbs that turns into something, a monstrous tree. And what he's trying to say is that you disciples have taken prayer. You've taken the word. You've taken the confession of faith and you deem it insignificant. Just like a mustard seed. It looks insignificant. So tiny, so small. How could anything so small like that produce anything that big? And what God's dealing with is the spirit of contradictions. How many of you know it's contradictions that limits our faith? It's contradictions that create doubt. And so what he's doing here, he begins to give them the word of God. And then, he's, then he deals not only with their thinking, then he deals with their speaking or their mouth. Everyone say, my mouth. Your mouth. How do I receive? I receive when I come into agreement by the confession of my faith. I must agree. Agreement. If I can find any man on earth in agreement with what is the will of my Father in heaven, then we can move mountains. And so Jesus here begins to reprove them. I want you to jump over with me into into Matthew chapter 10. Notice there. Keep your finger here, but go with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Notice what Jesus said this to the disciples when he uh, sent them. He says, verse 7, chapter 10, verse 7. He says, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice what he says here. You're to say. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I read my Bible, I take it seriously. Jesus said, when you go, say this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, pastor, it just sounds like a cliche. No, he said, what you're doing is you're establishing a territory. Do you know that you establish supernatural territory by the confession of your faith? In my house. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. That's, I am establishing boundaries in my home. Why am I doing that? Because I want the presence and the peace of God in my home. I'm establishing a parameter where the kingdom of God and the power of God is going to live and be real and alive. And we do that through unity. I, I've come to realize one of the major reasons for marriage is not just procreation and having a girlfriend or a boyfriend or companionship. The reason why God put two people together is for the sake of unity and for the sake of moving Spiritual thanks. When you as a couple begin to become one in the Spirit through prayer and through faith and you unite in, in, in unity in your confession, you will see kingdoms crumble. You will see things happen. Unbelievable. Praise God. How many of you believe one of the reasons why the enemy wants to have you always at odds with your spouse is because a divided kingdom can't stand. If he can keep you divided from your spouse, guess what? Well, I'm not going to pray with her. I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not going to get with him. And the devil knows he's got you defeated. And guess what? Then your children are affected by the disunity. Oh, Pastor Ray, I disagree with this. Let me tell you something. I'm going to the root this morning. I want to tell you right now, you've got to fight for your marriage. You've got to fight, folks. You've got to say, honey, I know I'm offended at you and you're offended at me and I didn't like the way you talked to me last night before we went to bed, but I'm going to rise above that this morning. I'm going to ask you to forgive me. We need to hold our hands, we need to pray, and we're going to establish this home as a territory for the kingdom of God so the powers of darkness will be broken over this home so our children will serve God and so we'll rise up and see the kingdom of God come and the power of God flow. River of life begin to flow and the life of God, the peace of God and the resurrection life of God begin to move into our homes in our finances, in our health in our wealth he's going to begin to move but he needs unity he needs unity I know some of you say Pastor Ray, I'm not willing to forgive my wife no way well there's something far greater at stake You know what happens? We let our pride. By God, the way she talked to me last night, that's never going to happen to me again. We let those things, and we let the enemy tear into us. We hold grudges. What happens? We don't even realize we've taken the bait of Satan. We've taken the bait. He baited us. Yeah, but he always says something that hurts me and it makes me angry. I know. I know. We got to rise higher than that. What's the purpose of fasting and prayer? Why does fasting and prayer? Jesus said, "This kind, this kind." Everyone say, "This kind, this kind." Goeth not out but by prayer and fast. The, the, the father could not find any hope with the disciples. You know what it's. You know why it says Jesus said because of their unbelief. Unbelief and doubt means two souls. It means to have two souls. Can you imagine being on a boat and on the dock? and the boat begins to leave, you're going to do a spread eagle right there. It means two sold. Being on two places at one time. It means you're not really all in. Unbelief is a result of a person not really being totally sold out. When you have faith in God, it means you're willing to take that leap. You're reaching. You're trusting. You're resting in His Word. Now Jesus here says this in Matthew 10. When you go and you preach the kingdom, of it hand, verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Then he says this, freely you have received. Do you know that you receive something already? If you receive Christ and you, how many here have been baptized in the Holy Ghost? Don't be ashamed, it's okay. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, it's more than just speaking in tongues. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, do you know that you have the keys of the kingdom? You have the power right now to shut the gates of hell. You have the power to... Do you know casting out demons is very easy? It's simple. Do you know that healing the sick is very easy? Here's the problem. A lot of people say, well, pastor, I prayed for the sick and they didn't get healed. No, you don't get it. They're already healed. Yeah, but I don't see him healed. No. They were already healed past tense. I love what Smith Wigglesworth. He went to many con- healing conferences. And when, when Smith would pray for people. In fact, this is an interesting thing about his healing ministry. He would never pray for someone twice. This is what he would do. He would have healing lines. People would come down. He'd pray for them. If he saw that you were in a healing line, that you were there from the night before, he said, I prayed for you last night. Yeah, but I didn't get healed. No. You just don't believe. Get go back and sit in your seat. That's the way he talked to people. Go back and sit in your seat. You, 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 don't, you don't get it. You don't really, Yeah, but I did I still got the goiter. I still got the problem. No, you're already healed. You just don't believe it. He'd literally send him back. Well, you want to hear a real story, a weird story, true story. Uh, there was a woman that had crutches. She came down and he was on a platform, and he says, God's going to heal you today. And what you're going to do is God's going to heal you right now. And he asked him, do you believe that? And she says, I sure do. He says, I want you to come up on the stage. That meant she had to come up some stairs. So two gentlemen begin to come behind her to help her. And Smith Wigglesworth said this, don't touch her. Let her come up here. And everybody in the audience went, oh. Oh. She starts to take a step. And guess what? She falls to the ground. And everyone gasped. And people started rushing over to help her. And Smith steps down and said, Don't touch her. Let her get up. Now, how many of you think that would be offensive to some people? Okay? And so she, she crawls up on her knees and she gets up on her crutches. She stands up. And Smith standing up here. You come up here. And she falls down not once, not twice, but three times. By this time, there are hecklers in the crowd saying, You false prophet! You're a fake! You uncompassionate! Other words. And, and, and Smith Wigglesworth says, You come up. She finally makes it to the top of the platform. And then when he gets her to the top of the platform, Now I'm not recommending any of you do this unless you hear from God. But he kicks out the crutches from under her armpits. She doesn't fall. She doesn't walk. But she starts running. She runs off and she runs. I I can show you the pages in the book that I read that. But I I believe that actually happened. But here's the point. He said so many of us are not willing to take the risk. The woman was completely healed of her problem. But you know the problem is, we easily get offended. We want to help in, in a way, and, and yet God, there's times where God is going to ask us to believe Him that might even seem offensive. There are many times that people cussed and cursed Smith Wigglesworth out because he, he, his, his, his methods were definitely Strange. But he had a he had a he had an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit was saying. Let me let me just say this in closing here. We need to unlock, we need to learn to receive. The Bible says you have freely uh, received, and he says freely give. Jump over with me to First Corinthians chapter two. 1 Corinthians chapter two. Powerful text about what we have in the Holy Spirit. First <clears throat> Corinthians two, verse twelve. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things. Notice this. You cannot know what is from God until you have been sanctified, separated from the world. That has been freely given to us in God, by God. Verse 13. These things we also, what? Speak. We don't only receive it, but we speak not in the words of man's wisdom, but in the Holy Spirit, which comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Because the natural man, listen to this, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Nor can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words... I cannot, I will not ever become a man that is going to see something miraculous in my life until I am willing to allow my mind to become offended. Let me say this again. God will never move your heart and you'll never see supernatural things until you allow your mind to be offended. There's things that God says that will offend you. Are you willing to let him touch things in your life that might offend you? It might seem, how many of you know prayer can seem foolish? Tithing, foolish. Worshiping God, counting those things that are a loss as gain, can be foolishness to the natural mind. Forgiveness, forgiving someone, can be foolish. Remember when I was talking to Paul Mooningham about his eye problem? At the end of 40 minutes of prayer, I said, Paul, I know we don't see the results of healing, but I want you to now walk out your miracle by giving thanks to God as though you are healed. I want you, and that's what he did. He began to give thanks, Lord, thank you for my healing. Thank you, Lord, for touching my eyes. Yet his eyes were still a blur. See, faith is not just something because some preacher prays for you, but faith is a walk. I'm walking in this victory. I'm giving thanks. Lord, I'm, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm, I'm healed by the word of the Lord. Oh, Pastor Ray, that seems so foolish. That's right. It's called mustard seed faith. It's small, it's insignificant, it seems ridiculous. It's foolishness to the mind, to the natural mind. There's a foolishness attached to anything that is connected with faith. In fact, it's offensive. But if you can get beyond the offense, you're going to see breakthrough in miracles. You may say, Pastor, you know, am I supposed to believe God for miracles in every day of my life? Yes. Yes, you are. There's a world waiting for the kingdom of God to be manifest. By the way, it's not just healing the sick, raising the dead. What I'm talking about this morning about transforming our reality is by three things in closing, I'm gonna give this to you. First of all, you need to know who you are. You You need to know your sons and daughters of the kingdom. When Jesus baptized you in the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was bigger than tongues, it's bigger than gifts. It's putting the Spirit of Sonship and sealing you with the Spirit of Sonship. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. There's enough power. There's enough glory that's on you right now for you to move mountains. The second thing you need to know is your weapons. How many of you know that we have weapons of warfare? Jesus said our weapons are prayer and fasting. It's the Word. When you begin to declare the Word of God... By the way, I've had to do that in my own marriage. I remember not too long ago, my wife and I had a good little argument in our house. Yes, Pastor Ray had an argument with his wife. We were in disagreement. I did not agree with my wife Carol. In fact, I felt she was completely wrong. And I said, Lord, show my wife her wrong. Guess what? The Lord said, no, Ray, you're wrong. I said, Lord, it can't be wrong. I can't. This is logical. And the Lord began to say, right? I want you to walk out your victory. So I went back. and I said, Carol, thank you for your point of view. I appreciate it and I need it. I don't necessarily understand it and I don't agree with you, but there's something much greater at stake. And that's our unity. You see, being right is not always the right thing. You can be so right that you're wrong. And if being right is the most important thing in your life, then you're going to miss it. Because sometimes God's going to allow you to face situations where being right and thinking right and logically rationalizing things to where you feel you must be right. I have to be right. This is the right way. Being a Republican is the right way. Being a Democrat, way. Right. you can be so right, and you think you're so right, but you have the wrong spirit. If you're not walking in the love of God, you will actually do more damage in the kingdom. If you're not, if you're not, if you're not conveying the love and hope and faith to your children, if all, it's, if all your leadership is all about being right. And yet, there's no love and you're not conveying faith, hope, and love. And if there's no demonstration of humility in your home, it was important that my sons, Jared, David, and Aaron, my sons have seen me apologize to my wife thousands of times. Thousands, maybe millions. And what is important is that my sons needed to see dad humble himself. Because it doesn't mean that I'm weak in their eyes, but what it shows is that when I'm wrong and I'm weak, it's okay. Because grace picks me up. You see, if all we want to do is appear strong and afraid of being weak in the eyes of those who look up to us, then what happens is we convey a wrong message and the message we convey that's wrong is you have to always be on top. you are always got to be right. And if that's what you think leadership is, whoa, we miss it. You know, that's why I believe God used the Apostle Paul who was a terrorist, the Bible says he terrorized, he persecuted the church, he, was a, he, he persecuted, he, he killed, he maimed people. And yet here Paul comes back into the synagogues. J- just imagine, just imagine. Here, Tony, Tony. Tony, could you come up here? Okay, just come up here for a minute. I'm going to use Tony as an example. Now let's say Tony, just sit here in this chair just for a second. Let's say Tony is gone. Tony is dead because I put this man in prison and I made sure he was stoned. Now I come to the synagogue and his wife is sitting right there. And I'm coming and I'm endorsed by Ananias of Damascus as a Christian who's endorsing me as a new believer I'm a Christian. Oh, by the way, guys, I'm called to preach the gospel to you. I just killed her husband. Had him stoned. But you know why I'm here? I'm not here because of any credentials. I'm here because of his grace. I'm here because of his mercy. Can you imagine what that early church had to go through? Because there were widows in their synagogue because Paul had killed their spouses. And now these people had seen God's grace demonstrated by taking the worst of society, redeeming that man, saving him, and then making him a voice to the rest of the church. How many of you know we got a long way to go? C- could you receive me? I, just, I, I had her husband stoned and killed. I also tortured him. Would you still receive me? I don't know. I think in many churches today, we'd have him executed. Probably want to kill this pastor. By the way, thank you, Tony, for my example here. By the way, he's alive and well. Thank you. He's an awesome man of God. By the way, he's a, he's a lot of other things, too. I could share, too. He's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm here to tell you this morning, folks, <clears throat> is that we need to unlock the promises of God. You need to unlock yourself. You need to unlock the grace of God and stop limiting, limiting yourself and allowing your past failures or weaknesses from keeping you from all that God has for you as far as the future. I want to just say to this brother here in the white, uh, you're right. Sure. I just felt like the Lord the Lord is coming this morning and just sending waves and waves of grace, brother, upon you and letting you know he's chosen you, called you. There's a future. There's a hope. He wants to bless you beyond your greatest expectation. I even just sense the Lord just removing a veil. There's been a veil over your eyes and the Lord is just going to begin to expound and explode a sense of greatness of who God is. He loves you as a son. You're an amazing man. There's a future, there's a hope. Amen. See that in Jesus' name? I, I just sensed that, just wanted to share that with you, that the Lord wants to just send the rain of heaven to bring refreshing upon you in a way that is just going to cause your life to blossom. Amen. And, and the future is bright. Amen. Paul said this one thing I do. And all of us, we need to learn to forget those things which are behind we, to, we, need to, we need to learn to let go of things that hold us hostage. Some of us have come here, you've been divorced, and you're held hostage by a divorce, and the Lord wants you to release that issue of guilt even in your life. How many of you believe the blood of Jesus can wash and cleanse? We might be living, sometimes we can live with, there are consequences that our decisions make uh, ha, that, that happens, and I understand that. But we need to learn to also rise above that and realize this is a new day. This is a new day God has made and I need to move forward into his plan and purpose. The the second thing is we need to receive. We need to unlock. We need to receive. And I receive by learning to come into agreement with his promise. And then thirdly, I need to walk with a sense of expectancy. I need to live with that sense of expectancy. I love what Paul said to me this last week. He says, you know, Ray, you told me, about giving thanks. Every morning, he reads the Psalms now. He says, every morning, I give thanks to God. He says, it's an amazing way to start my day. He says, when I give thanks to God for what he is and what he's done in my life, he says, I just sense the peace of God resting on my life throughout my day. It's amazing what Thanksgiving can do. When you become thankful and you allow God to arise, his enemies scatter. Amen? Let's bow our head this morning. Maybe you might say, you know, Pastor Ray, I have been burned out. I've experienced burnout in my life, my emotions, and I just need that resurrection power. I need the Holy Spirit to just renew my vision. Maybe that's you this morning. Jesus wants to set you free. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. If that's you this morning, raise your hand. I want to pray with you right now. Anybody, anybody right now. Okay? I see that hand. Anyone else? Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, shall we? We can stand to our feet this morning. Would you just take each other by the hand, and I'm going to pray over you this morning. As you're holding the hand of the neighbor next to you, I want you to actually pray for them. I want you to pray that the the spirit of peace would be released upon them. Just begin to pray that God would unlock the promises, God's promises over their life to come in to that place of ruling and reigning, victorious in Christ. I want us to begin to understand that there is an authority that rests upon us. There is a favor and a grace that rests upon us. Jesus said, Whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it. But we're not asking. We're not believing. We've got to believe. We've got to ask. And then we need to walk with expectancy. Father, we pray right now that this coming year, the year of the baptism and the move of the Holy Spirit upon this house, upon the lives of your people, Lord, will be a year where our eyes will see, our hearts will respond, our ears will be open. Because, Lord, you're the God of the impossible. Nothing will be impossible. I ask, Lord, that even through this Christmas season that we would come to see Jesus in our homes, our lives. Father, I just pray you'd bring a spirit of refreshing life upon each family, each member. Lord, just continue to allow the open heavens, open heavens, Lord, to renew us, restore us. We give you high praise. And everyone said... Turn to someone. Give them a hug this morning. God bless. Have a Merry Christmas this year. We love you this morning in Jesus' name. God bless you.